Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Brethren Amen. Christ, Laudator Jesus Christus. In this is Timothy Flanders. This is the Our Lady of Victory morning show. This is your Monday morning man show. Coming at you again. <laughs> Waking up Catholic, as our new tagline uh, says. Created by Jake Fowler. Thank you very much, Jake Fowler. Uh, it is a beautiful, wonderful day in the neighborhood because it's Trinity Sunday yesterday. It's it's, yeah. it's now the, the green season. The after Pentecost season. Or as uh, my... my my Lutheran heretical days, we used to call this the growing time. I like that. Oh, I that's like cute. That yeah, growing time. <laughs> Anything but ordinary time. That's I, I don't believe in ordinary time. It just doesn't exist. It's actually called extraordinary time 24-7, 365 <laughs> in my book. But uh, I don't know who, whose bright idea was it to translate. The Latin of that, the Latin of ordinary time is tempus per annum, which means time throughout the year, which is innocuous i think but yeah. then some somebody had the right idea let's translate it ordinary time because that'll right. get, the, get the youth excited <laughs> <laughs> i've always thought it should be ordinal time yeah, yeah ordinal. Ordinal like is, this is, is this is the ordered period. time yeah yeah it may be innocuous but at least it's not uh it doesn't give you the same sense that it's like it's like boring time it's like, <laughs> it's okay. uh, i have a burning question before we begin yeah. Yeah. it's for you what is a chad <laughs> can you tell me what it is yeah come on bro if you come have on. to ask yeah. Yeah. i don't know what it is you, 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 you had a comment last week on on pleasy in my stream and you said something about chads and i was like i don't know what chads are yeah i'm gonna have to take it back for the audience i i commented i said man we got a couple of chads here it's good to see them but I guess we don't have a Chad anymore. No, a ch mm. so a Chad is like a, it's a Gen Z slang term, which just basically means like a great guy, essentially. Like like a mensch. Is it the same thing as a mensch? Um, I have no clue. Yeah. That. Oh, so, oh, you don't know what mensch is? Okay. No, so, Spreken's in Deutsch? Nine. Yeah, Chad would be like, a, so, so the name, so for a long time, the name Chad was kind of an innocuous, like, poking fun at name for just a frat guy for a really really long time and then people just started taking it as okay let's kind of in a certain sense i'm 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 getting way i'm philosophizing it but like getting <laughs> let's make it great again y'all let's make the name chad great right. <laughs> and right. so they were like all right let's just start saying like he's a chad meaning he's a great guy or he's an awesome person and um at the end of the day, that's what it means. It just means like you're a great guy, you're an awesome person. Or in some contexts, it could mean, you know, the greatness is, you know, you're great about what you do, you're really knowledgeable, you're really like in the know, something like that. So it kind of depends yeah. on context. But generally speaking, that's what it means. So. And now you got Sigma, right? You, yeah, got, you got like different. Another term? Yeah, Sigma male. Mm -hmm. that, so, so the kids are saying that that's a sigma. like you're like the mega Ever? Chad, like you're like the uber mega Chad. You're, like you're, uber you're mega. yeah, you're the Megazord Chad. Uh, you know, you got lightning it, all Chad of Chad is not really a good word yeah. to describe if you're describing some somebody who's awesome. Why would you use what? the term Chad? But, what? But <laughs> One of my best friends is Chad. <laughs> We're all Chads in here. Yeah, I, I'm just Tim on this one. It's weird. Oh no, it's very Oh no, how term. dare you? <laughs> Uh, but you have to see if you're gonna say mensch, you have to say uber mensch because uh, I don't know if there's a, a chain around where you guys live, but we're around here. There's a, like a chain of frozen yogurt called Menchies, and it's got this little troll symbol. And every time somebody <laughs> says mensch, I'm, all I think is that little. It's like a troll thing. I don't know. And you he don't sells have frozen yogurt. Michigan. I don't know. Missourians. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different yeah. world down here. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That must be a Mason Dixon line thing. Like you probably have it down down south or something. I don't know. Could or, be. Uh, okay. Called Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Well, th this is a, a glorious time of year. Uh, it is time for the awesome calendar. This is one of the greatest points in the glorious liturgy liturgy of the home calendar 
that uh, Mrs. Michaela Harrison gloriously has created. Once again, do your kids a favor. Do your kids' catechetical formation a favor and go buy this calendar, liturgythehome.com. So what's, what's beautiful about this is obviously we have the common depiction of Pentecost, which with the seven gifts in Latin up here with the Holy Ghost being sent by the Father and the Son, obviously. And then we have the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit on every day, all of the octave. And then the connection, which uh, our priest actually brought out this past week. I didn't even realize that there was a connection between the, the octave of Pentecost and then the commemoration of the seven sacraments. And um, so there's all the, the seven sacraments. And obviously, Trinity Sunday, yesterday. Today we have St. Boniface. And this week begins the glorious octave of Corpus Christi which is really the, the hinge point of the entire month of June, which leads up to, obviously, the Sacred Heart of Jesus the very next week. It's really a glorious month. I, I said last week that, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's this, this, this action-packed, liturgically, sacramentally, spiritually powerful month of June. It also includes a fast, traditionally, too, in East and West. I didn't even know this was a Western custom, but there's a fast tied all the way up to the great feast of Saints Peter and Paul, June 29. So um, the enemies of Christ picked the worst month, perhaps, <laughs> I think, uh, for celebrating all their nonsense. So we have, a, we have an exciting month, the month of June. Um, today we're going to talk about Pentecost. And this the I'm going to try to present a uh, hypothesis that I have in my book, namely that only the Catholic Church speaks in tongues. Every other non-Catholic sect or denomination or church is building the Tower of Babel in some way, more or less. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and if, but if you want to talk about the, uh, the other thing we talked about last week, which was the charismatics and the charismatic doctrine of speaking in tongues, which is something a little bit different than what we're going to talk about today, because... Pentecost, the the actual event of Pentecost Sunday, is really speaking in other languages which are understood by the hearers. That's a dubia. I, there's, I, there's a dubia. I, no, no, no. There's a dubia on that. There's a dubia. Let me finish what I'm saying first. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but uh, I had to interrupt because I'm the only tongue talker in the group, and I don't know if I was ever involved in the MOC guilt family stream. Well, <laughs> the Catholic mean, doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Talk well, in, in that stream, if you'd like one. to go, you have access, yeah. Kaiser, to the uh, <laughs> discussion of uh, the tongues of angels. This, this, this discussion is <laughs> okay. about the tongues yeah. of angels, yeah, yeah. which yeah. are not understood. St. Paul makes references oh. to mm. when one is speaking a language which is not understood by the hearers. And so that's what we talk about in this stream, which is the more controversial. You may be surprised to find out that uh, I essentially defend the uh, position of the Holy See regarding the charismatics uh, in modern day, which might surprise trads, but I think it's a traditional position, really. Um, but what we'll talk about today is not the speaking of tongues that is not understood, but which is a thing in, in the New Testament. And we talked about that on this other stream. But in this broadcast, we'll talk about the speaking of tongues, which is understood, the speaking of other languages, which is the miraculous reversal of Babel. Because in this, there's, a, there's an obvious parallel in the event of Pentecost, an obvious parallel to the event of Babel. When, our, when God confuses the tongues and they're not able to be understood, and therefore there's a division, whereas at Pentecost, they speak all the tongues of the nations, which they understand, and the text says, we hear in other languages, and it, then it lists all these, these nations, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, people of Mesopotamia. It just goes on and on about all these different nations that are there, and they all hear their own tongues being spoken. That's what's miraculous to them. They don't even know, how could this be? This is insane. Um, they think they're drunk. It's just a, this incredible, miraculous speaking of other languages where they are preaching the gospel and being understood. And that's the miracle that reverses Pentecost. And this is all a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, who says that there will be 
10 Gentiles who speak all the languages of the Gentiles who come and hold one Jew and say, let us come with you for we have heard God is with you. And so this is the, this is the glorious miracle of the Catholic church, which I will discuss in a minute that all only the Catholic church really speaks in tongues in the way, the manner of Pentecost, the manner of this Pentecost event. And so I'm going to discuss why this is Catholic just Catholic does not merely mean universal. That's like one aspect of it. But the entire history of the church, I think, demonstrates how the speaking of other languages is critical for the the divergence with the Greek schisms, as well as the Protestant heretics. And this is very critical uh, to understand. But before we go on, does anybody have any comments on any of that? Hmm. Actually, Not, go ahead, Jeremiah. I was going to say I appreciate uh, the mention of actual languages in uh, Acts chapter two because that's one of my differences with a lot of charismatic Catholics is the idea that they say in Acts in Acts chapter two experience, and I say, well, not necessarily. <laughs> it depends, right? I mean, you know, and so to differentiate between uh, the real languages of what was going on there and people hearing without the need of an interpreter of a, of a, a supernatural prayer for the gift of interpretation or anything like that or whether it was more languages than people present you know like how that happened the operations of that but i that's all i would say as i appreciate the subtle distinction intentional or not yeah uh yeah. That, as i said that that the question of a an unintelligible language of angels that i think is that seems to be the claim of catholic charismatics today i've been i i've never spoken in tongues quote unquote but i've i've heard it I've heard it being spoken and uh, nobody understood there that I was present. Nobody was like, Oh, Hey, that's that that's my language. Yeah. Um, it was an unintelligible language to anyone. Yeah. Um, so that's the, that is the theological question, which seems to be brought up by the modern Catholic charismatic movement. Cause they claim to be speaking basically the tongues of angels in terms, oh. instead of um, various languages. As far as I know, I've never heard of any charismatics, just started speaking Arabic or speaking Chinese and all this sort of thing. Um, but that, so just bracket that whole question, go watch the guild stream. If you want to be a part of the guild, unitofcatholic.com slash register Fowler or Cavazos. Do you have any comments first on any of this? I will save my comments. So they seem to be more relevant for what's coming up. Okay, great. Cavazos. Yeah, no, I concur. Better, okay. better to hear you out first uh, than give full, a fuller thought, you know? Okay, great. So so essentially, um, as I said, this is the speaking of other languages, which is the note of Pentecost, which is this greatest, the greatest miracle which reverses Babel. And the text says, we hear them in our languages speaking the great works of God. And that right there is a description of what the Catholic Church does and no other Christian body can do. And they have proved themselves incapable, moreover, yeah. totally incapable of doing what the Catholic Church does because only the Catholic Church consistently speaks in all languages the mystery of Christ, mm -hmm. synthesizing all tongues in the same faith. It's not merely that everybody out there, you know, you could take a Protestant sect and the Protestant sect is there's Lutherans over here. There's Lutherans in Africa. There's Lutherans speaking a tongue over here in South America, but they cannot agree on the same faith. They're all divided against each other. They're all continually dividing, continually dividing, making a new confession. The Protestant sects are hopelessly divided. But the same is true of the Greek schisms. Now, the Greek schisms are very different than the Protestant heretics. But the history of the ecumenical councils shows us the importance of this. It is often said, unfortunately, that Latin is the language of the church. I, I, I say that that's false or misleading at best. The language of the church is inscribed inadvertently by Pontius Pilate on the cross, which is Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And those really are formed the central cultural linguistic elements of Christendom. Mm -hmm. So 
and I, I say again, St. John Paul II said that Greek and Latin are the two lungs of the church. I would say that's false or misleading at best as well, because the Hebrew forms the very soul of this Greco-Roman civilization. And the Hebrew eventually develops into a, a great Syriac tradition, which is an entirely separate and largely unknown and unresourced Catholic tradition, uh, the Syriac tradition, which I'll discuss in a minute. But what we see in the history of the ecumenical councils, and we see first with the Council of Nicaea in particular, is that Nicaea utilizes a Greek term, homoousios, which is a philosophical term that is local to the catechetical school of Alexandria, which is a particular Greek school in a largely Coptic linguistically and culturally area, which is offensive to the Antiochian and Cappadocian Greek catechetical schools. And this is why there's this tension with the Council of Nicaea, even among the Orthodox. You have the so-called Orthodox semi-Arians, which is a bad misnomer, I think. But you have somebody like St. Basil, who questions homoousios, not because he's an Arian, but because he's, he's raised in a different catechetical and linguistic environment. And so what, what we see, the first instance of speaking in tongues really is, as I say in my book, is the Council of Alexandria 361, when St. Athanasius wins over, he speaks in other tongues because he's he able to speak to his brethren who are questioning this Greek term of Nicaea and win them over to Nicaea because he's able to get past the language. And he says specifically, which I quote in my book, he says, we dispute with our brethren who are disputing merely about a word and not about the substance of the faith. And this is a prophecy of all of the Greek schisms that are about to occur here, because there's all these, there's Greek as a lingua franca in the East. There's also all these local tongues and local catechetical traditions, not only Alexandria and Antioch, but also Edessa in the Syriac tradition that are using all these different terms. They have it's take Greek as a, as a, as a lingua franca and then translate that into the local dialogue. So we have two big schisms with Ephesus and Chalcedon. And in both cases, there's a linguistic barrier, which is creating a situation where you have to speak in tongues. You have to speak in these other languages and be able to translate them into these other languages in order to perform, form one faith, in a multitude of languages. And the first one is, is Ephesus, which is the Nestorian heresy. And Nestorius is an actual heretic, and he gets booted out, and he flees over to the Persian Empire. And in the Persian Empire, there's all these Syriac Christians, and the Syriac Christians have been cut off from the Roman Empire. They accept Nicaea, but they've been cut off. But they also have this entirely different Syriac dialect, which is uh, coming out of an Aramaic and Semitic um, Hebrew context. And they have the term kenoma, kenoma for the faith, which is which is a Syriac philosophical term, which means sort of an instantiation. And to their to their ear, they can't distinguish the, this this problem with Nestorianism, and they don't understand what the problem is. And they're also they have a huge political they're cut off from the rest of the Roman Empire. Um, so what we know later is that the Syriacs, some of them were Nestorians bona fide Nestorians, heretics, but others of them were our brethren disputing only about a word, as St. Athanasius says. And we know this because the Syriacs were later, they were later reconciled to the Holy See all the way in the 1500s. This is the creation of the Chaldean Catholic Church. Um, but many of them kept the faith, even though they were cut off because there was all these political situations. <clears throat> but then we have the next Greek schism, which is the, the Miaphysites or Monophysites, Again, same exact thing happens because we have people in Alexandria who are keeping the traditions of St. Cyril, who said, Mia Physis of the, 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 the Logos incarnate is of Mia Physis, which is one Physis. And it's using a Greek term called Physis, which is, again, has a different philosophical and linguistic understanding in an Alexandrian contract contrasted with an Antiochian. So we have all these linguistic things going on. And what we know, again, from modern scholarship is some of these guys in Alexandria, some of the cops, were bona fide monophysites. Yes, we definitely know that for sure. But some of them were disputing only about a word. 
because now we have uh, modern reconciliations with these bodies where we can we can know that they they are actually accepting the substance of Chalcedon, but they are disputing about the wording because they're trying to be faithful to St. Cyril. So what we have as we get into the Greek and Latin debate over the Philoque, we have that we have this body of patristic knowledge where all the different fathers have spoken in Greek or Latin or sometimes Syriac in the case of St. Ephraim, but they have said things that seem to be contrary to each other because they're translating that all into their local tongues and dialects and their catechetical traditions. And in the Filioque, we see the same thing because St. Maximus points out that, and he's the one who knew Latin, he points out to the Greeks that procesio in Latin is not the same thing as ekperefsis in Greek, which is the ekperefsis, which is what is termed in the Greek, the Greek creed. And this, this linguistic barrier prevents somebody like Phocius, uh, Phocius the Great, so-called saint. Some, some Melkite Catholics venerate him, apparently. But he wrote against the Filioque as a heresy, but he didn't even know Latin. And this is what begins the, the Eastern, Eastern Orthodox split, where in each of these bodies, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, non-Chalcedonian Orthodoxy, as well as Syriac Assyrian Orthodoxy, all of them split into isolated ethnic bodies, which is where they're, they're no longer speaking in tongues. They can no longer get across these barriers because they can't speak Latin or they can't speak Greek or they, they refuse to dialogue. Or in some cases, they're just totally cut off by a political situation and through no fault of their own. Um, so it's a difficult barrier. <clears throat> and what we need to do is we need to have a true dialogos with these, speak in tongues, be able to speak all their languages so that, that we can actually get past any linguistic barriers which are present. So that is the context of only the Catholic Church through all these different controversies is able to speak in all tongues because what we see, what's very interesting is that through the history of the Latin, the Latin Church, the Latin Church is con continually resourcing Greek and also later Hebrew. Whereas the Eastern Orthodox, they lose Latin and, they, and that's it. They don't regain Latin un until a, a, um, a Latin Renaissance in Russia, which is short-lived because of the Slavophiles. But none of these other communions in the East regain that multilingual linguistic tradition. And this is what persists and makes these Greek schisms persist. And what we what we see here is that only the Catholic Church, especially the um, <clears throat> the the dogma of Florence, which reconciles all these different patristic traditions, and it says that the filioque is present in the Latins, and it's implicit in the Cappadocian Greeks, it's it's present in the Alexandrian Greeks, and actually it doesn't mention this, but there's actually a Syriac filioque. <clears throat> excuse me, there's a Syriac filioque in a very ancient Syriac creed. So the doctrine Council of Florence really is this sort of renaissance of speaking in tongues vis-a-vis -vis all of the seven ecumenical councils, the Council of Florence, right before the Protestant heretics um, come to town. So, Fowler, I wanted to get your comment on uh, all of this first before I delve into the Protestant heretics. I, I kind of forgot what I was going to say from earlier, but I, <laughs> I think it was about, oh, it was about uh, speaking in tongues where nobody can understand you. And I, I wonder, like, uh, it, we'll have to hold this for the end, but how much of that is sociological? Like, you, you think you have to do something like that, so you're going to just start babbling and hope people believe you versus how much of it is legitimate, you know, there, and, and where's the line and who's to say and how do you know? But anyhow, um, I, I, I enjoyed your, your 15 minute lecture there, professor. Um, I think this is an endlessly fascinating topic. And the thing that kept coming back to mind was, uh, a concept that I had read in a short book uh, a couple of months ago that sort of, it described the Catholic church as the only one that's able to be truly ecumenical because we're the only one possessing the fullness of the truth. So we truly can reach out to the Syriacs, to the Greeks, to the Copts, to the Protestants and, and the Jews, anybody. 
and bring them in because we're not coming from a place of partiality, but rather because the church does indeed speak all languages and is in all nations and has been and will be for all time, we can say, hey, uh, we appreciate X, Y, Z that you do, but don't forget about these basic fundamentals that you've missed, like the unity, like the evangelistic spirit. You know, that's, that's one other thing. Uh, the reason the church speaks in all tongues is because she goes to all peoples and she brings their languages in and, and, and uplifts them and sort of baptizes their practices. You know, that's that process of true enculturation. And we, we've got that, uh, as you've been saying, as early as the, the, the first several councils where these cultures receiving the faith, but then having to work it in with their other uh, cultural patrimonies. So those are kind of my initial thoughts on all that. What do you yeah, guys think? I, I wanted to mention uh, the um, I've been reading the modern liturgy of the hours for um, for Paschal Tide because there's a bunch of patristic readings every day, <clears throat> which are really great. Um, a bunch of new texts that have been discovered in the past 200 years. And one of them was this ancient homily from Africa, uh, which said that very thing you just said, Fowler. It said we do speak in all tongues like it, it said if anyone asks you why don't you speak in tongues the the this ancient homily said tell them i do speak in tongues because i'm a member of the body of christ which speaks every right. tongue was and that augustine the, yeah uh it's it's just an anonymous homily they, they don't it may have been previously attributed to him but they they doubt the authorship now i guess but it's gotcha. in the liturgy of the hours for for penta for the vigil of pentecost so if you look it up in your li modern liturgy of the hours for the Saturday before Pentecost, it's the Office of Readings, that uh, text there. Um, and I think that that's, it's really, I mean, when you think about it, only the Roman Catholic Church can really say that in in the deepest way possible, in the very uh, translation of the true faith in all tongues, the same faith, but in all tongues. No other body right. can say that. Yeah, if I could just quibble about one minor thing, I, I would... And I know what, what you meant when you said all that, but I would shy away from saying only the Roman Catholic Church says that I would drop Roman and just leave the Catholic Church because yeah, of the sure. multiplicity of rights. True. But other than that, yeah, no, I think and it's such a beautiful concept to think that our faith isn't threatened when we go to another and try to bring them along. I don't I don't have to compromise. I don't have to sacrifice. Uh, and when you do compromise and you do sacrifice, you're not really being ecumenical you're not actually evangelizing. It's just sort of like a, uh, let's make a deal played in, in the, the religious sphere, you know? So anyways, Jeremiah, you look like you're just dying to say something. Yeah, I was picking my nails. <laughs> I was picking my nails. Okay. It's morning time. Well, I mean, the glasses well, I, came look, off. I, I, I was, I was like, picking my nails. I was, I, well, no, I, was, I was listening intently and I was being distracted. I don't know how, how people have... The, the energy for certain conversations in the comment section in the morning. <laughs> maybe, it's not, maybe it's not morning time in Italy, but yeah, for crying out loud. <laughs> Man, every day, is that really it? <laughs> anyway, so, no, about this topic, uh, it is definitely going to get attention, naming it that way. If for no other reason that if people get you in a corner, you'll say, you'll be able to say, look, I actually have a, a really great video about the tongues of angels <laughs> and different things. And they'll be like, well, okay, if that's what you mean. <laughs> so they'll, they'll, but, but it's going to get attention, right? Um, I would, I would wonder if it's as much tongues as it is also interpretation. And in that sense, it would make sense because St. Paul tells people, if you, if you are speaking in tongues in front of other people uh, and there's not an interpreter present, uh, that you ought to pray for the supernatural interpretation of that. Because it would not only be that he would figure out how to communicate beyond that barrier, but that's not just the word, that's the interpretation of it. And that the Catholic Church is not only able to speak those languages, but is in fact the final arbiter and ultimate interpreter of all things having to do with this. And so in that sense, not only would she be speaking in tongues, but she would also be interpreting. And I think, well, yeah, fittingly so, of course. She holds the fullness of all of those things. <laughs> so in that sense, of course. And I would say, yes, that a brilliant way of bringing in Athanasius to, uh, to this and, to, and how you could see this even with others. Um, it'll be interesting if, when people say, 
Well, what do you do with people when that's, that takes place in their own language? You have differences of interpretation even in their own language and a person comes in between as an arbiter in kind of the middle, not as severe, not as divisive, right? But still pretty, pretty big. And so you may have people that poke and try to find nuance in your lines here or there, but fascinating. Interesting discussion. Fascinating yeah, discussion. So <clears throat> just to bring this home to the Protestant heretics, we have really the um, Christopher Dawson notes that all of the Protestant nations who broke from the church, none of them were ever a part of the Roman Empire, except for two exceptions to that uh, are Ireland and Poland. And the reason is because both of those nations had firmly uh, imbued their ethnic identity with the faith before the Protestants came to town. And so they were staunchly Catholic forever, no matter what, because their Irishness was their Catholicism and their Catholicism was their Irishness and the same for the Poles. Um, one can quibble perhaps about England because it was part of the Roman Empire up to Hadrian's Wall, etc. But um, what he notes, I think, is accurate, is that there, this is an ethnic struggle critically is one aspect of the Protestant heresy is it's an ethnic struggle because it's all these non-Roman Empire nations who are formerly barbarians who are, who are latching on to this new vernacular culture, which is coming out of the Italian Renaissance, etc. Um, and they are asserting a, a, a true natural right to an ethnic identity, which is mixed with a heretical uh, breaking from the Catholic Church and a renunciation of the Latin tongue. When you don't have Latin, you can't understand the basics of because Latin is the thing that that I mean, the church is church's language is Latin insofar as Latin is the Roman tongue and the Roman culture. Roman Romanitas is the thing that God chose to synthesize all nations into one. We need Latin to do that because Latin sort of boils everything down. Like if you look at Greek and Latin, uh, for example, um, Latin, you know, Greek has logos. And Latin translates that to verbum. It says, okay, there's so many different nuances to logos. There's so many different aspects of it. That's great. We're going to boil it down to verbum because that's the most important aspect of logos. And so this is what Latin does. Latin takes all these different things and synthesizes them into a system of administration, of, of unity. That's what Latin does. And because the all these ethnic Protestant heretics, and, and I, should, I should mention too, the same exact thing happened with especially the monophysites the monophysites all these the armenians the uh cops the um the ethiopians they're they they mixed an ethnic struggle against the roman empire against an excessive amount of bloodshed and on the part of like people like justinian emperor justinian different people who are trying to force these people through force of arms into a, a an imperial catholic unity they were using this became an ethnic struggle for them and um, it's the same thing is true with the Protestants. And so it was ultimately this, uh, the, the same sort of building of Babel once again. They're saying, I want to speak my tongue in, to the exclusion of these other tongues. And that's, to a degree, that's true. You should have, again, you should have your own ethnic identity. You should be able to speak your own tongue and whatnot. But because they rejected that, and the Council of Trent responded and said, we're going to keep the Latin mass Latin. But we're going to also, we are going to support vernacular Bible translations. And so we have this both and from the Council of Trent. We say, yes, Latin, but vernacular Bible and also vernacular um, uh, devotions, by the way. So every Catholic church post-Trent is multilingual because it has a Latin tongue and a vernacular plus Bible. I mean, there's like two or three languages in every Catholic church right there. Whereas the Protestants so say, no, we have to hold only vernacular. Uh, so it becomes this ethnic one language. It becomes isolated. And that's sort of the linguistic background for all the different Protestant sects. Now we have all these different denominations and everything. Um, but they, it, it's, it's so bad. When you look at, for example, the, um, the Joint Declaration on Justification of the Modern Period, 1994, I think, which is a, a joint declaration between the Catholics and the Lutherans. And it's so bad that the Lutherans can't even understand basic Catholic doctrine. 
because they think that we're all Pelagians. They think, well, because we believe works count, because we believe in St. James' epistle, which says that faith without works is dead, we're therefore Pelagians. And it's because they don't, they can't speak in tongues. They can't even understand a different doctrinal language. And so it's interesting when you read that joint des- joint defecation, it basically says, hey, uh, when you say this, you actually don't mean this Protestant bias that you've had for 500 years. It's actually false. You actually mean this. And it's interesting to see that because it that document doesn't really resolve the central issues. But what it does is it allows the Protestant heretics to finally speak in tongues so they can finally speak our language and understand what we're actually saying when we talk about Catholic doctrine. So it's like it's like a bridge to allow them to actually, oh, actually, Catholics are not Pelagians. I didn't even realize that. That's what my fathers had taught me for 500 years because we've been these ethnic enclaves. Signed even by champions like J.I. Packer. In the in the Protestant universe, yeah, yeah, I'm saying I'm saying heavy hitters that riled up other heavy hitters like R.C. Sproul. They got all mangled up and all riled and frustrated because people were because there were Protestants speaking with Catholics about it. Yeah, I, I liked. Uh, oh, total side note. Thank you, Fowler. That's uh, or I don't know if it was, it was Fowler's comment. Yeah, I, I, people get um, get some people say Bergoglio. In a in a an offensive sense, they they want to do that to disrespect the Holy Father. <laughs> but it actually is an Italian custom to say Papa Bergoglio yeah. or Papa Voitewa. Papa. That's what they call the Pope. That's generally the custom. So thank was it fa- you? It, it's generally the custom. Yeah, to I, put I typed Papa that out. in and, front of it. <laughs> yeah, he if, won't. <laughs> if I'm wrong about Andrea yeah. being a yeah. set a, uh, okay, I apologize. Last we all knew. That's the situation. But other than that, and no disrespect, in Europe they often refer. He's to the, the regular. Last names. He's the regular yeah. in the diner with us. Like, yeah, like he's no, the guy he's that even if he's grumpy the in the mornings with us or whatever, we're like, oh, dude, that's every day in the diner, Andre. We, <laughs> we all we know we, you, we love him. We're all sitting around drinking coffee, smoking at a diner yeah, in the morning yeah. with him. <laughs> I'll have a cappuccino yeah. with you and one one day when I visit. Italy. I do. So, I do want to say yeah. as a side note, I, I didn't say this before. Um, and it's only a defense in passing, would be that when talking about not understanding um, and when people speak in tongues and even in the way that you're talking, Tim, how this could be applicable, is that um, St. Paul never says they weren't speaking in tongues. He says that you were speaking mysteries between yourself and God. You were praying, in fact, between you and God, but that other people don't understand. And because of that, he said that he not only speaks in tongues, but he wishes everyone spoke in tongues, but even more that they all prophesied. And because prophecy would be something that was without any question knowable right away. You're, you're speaking their language. It's something that they would know right away. Boom, boom, boom. Whereas with tongues, you would also have to pray for the interpretation if there's not an interpreter, but praying for the interpretation the question would be if they had prayed for it and then said, here's the interpretation, we could accuse them of making it up. And so we could accuse them of, of fancy footwork and being just simple, you know, circus magicians or something. But mm-hmm. but that's that not the case, you know, because so the, the language itself, I contend, would have to be supernatural, at least in this sense, the sense not what you're talking, well, in what you're talking, but in a personal sense, because the interpretation is also that. And one could not contend that interpretation is that, but... Tongues would not be to me. That would be nonsensical. But that's what I'm going to highlight this comment from anonymous. He says, first Polish partition, partial translation is Bible of Queen Sophia in 15th century. First full Catholic Polish translation came before the Protestant one. Yet it's obvious. It's a lot total lie of the Protestants to say that wasn't vernacular translations. There was tons of vernacular stuff going on for centuries. Uh, I mean, as I say in my book, there's vernacular passion plays. Put on by lay people. They're the one who the ones who organize it. Actually, um, they all of that's a that's a translation of the Bible right there because it's a it's an enactment of the Holy Scripture. But I want to hear from uh, I want to hear some Thomistic yeah. distinctions from yeah. Cavazos because yeah. you've been sitting there very patiently, like a good Thomist, just yeah. meditating. He's uh, learning from his elders. <laughs> He's yeah, lurking. From your elders <laughs> waiting. Cavazos, what do you have to yeah. say about all this? These yeah. these tongues. All I've heard is a bunch of nonsense coming from <laughs> <laughs> um, So 
Yeah, I think to directly comment on your specific presentation, my thought is this. So a language is nothing more than essentially the intellect expressing what's inside, if you will, just to really boil it down. And with the claim being that only the Catholic Church can speak in tongues, and in this specific context, we have kind of coined or defined tongues as the ability to go out and speak the languages of other nations in the context of dialogue and um, I would say like well-ordered ecumenism for the purposes of bringing Christians together for ultimate salvation. Reversing Babel. Yes. Well-ordered yeah. ecumenism, bro. That's, that's I'm what writing I mean. it down. Reversing Babel <laughs> in the good. way Pentecost does, I guess. Yeah, yeah. One Very good. I think that that makes a lot, it makes a lot of sense. And this is the reason why. So I would, I would say the only reason that the Catholic church, I would agree with the, the thesis that the only reason that the Catholic church has that ability is because we have to ask, what is the cause of that? Because if the effect is the church going out and being able to reverse Babel, then what is the cause of that? The cause is going to be sanctifying grace, right? At the end of the day. And so what happens, at least how I'm understanding this is that sanctifying grace being infused from God, from the sacraments, right, and by just being the mystical body of Christ itself entrusted with all sanctifying grace, receives the ability to sanctify men. And therefore, because she has the charge and the mission to go out and to um, not just give God glory, but also to evangelize all nations, she has the ability to therefore dialogue truly with all nations and with all ethnic groups and with all tribes and tongues and um quasi-religious bodies. She has that ability. And she has the ability to do that because it's going to be an action of grace. It's going to be something that transcends, as you said, or overturns Babel, reverses it, and gives to mankind the necessities for salvation. So what I see operating in all of this is that God has a plan and a destiny for the salvation of mankind. It can only take place in the context of his body, because how can we be saved outside of the body of Christ? And therefore, he's going to endow the church with sanctifying grace, which is going to um, allow sanctifying grace to heal our nature, right, in the context of personal evangelization, heal our nature, so heal our intellect, heal our will, and then we will be able to, especially with actual just education on top of that, including that, go out and to be able to evangelize, be able to go out and be able to do proper theology in dialoguing with those who disagree with us in order for us to show them the realities of the salvific nature of the Catholic Church. And so that's how I would at least summarize it in a lot of ways. How I'm seeing is that it's, it's again, it's just a, another expression of grace healing nature, but specifically grace healing the nature of the intellect to go out and be able to speak other languages, but just in a mass level. Uh, in the context of Pentecost reversing Babel. So that's what I kind of think about it. I don't know what you guys think. I really liked what you said about language is the intellect expressing what's inside. And that's that's what I think the Holy Spirit, through sanctifying grace, allows Catholics to do because that's what St. Athanasius said. He said they dispute about a word, not the substance. But he, so he was able to go through the word into the substance that's inside to really understand what they're truly trying to say. Um, and I think ultimately it's 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 a it's a mark of the Holy Spirit. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which is the Holy Spirit is governing the Catholic Church in a way that he is not governing uh, these other bodies, clearly, because they're not manifesting this mark of holiness, this mark of all tongues. Uh, he is rather drawing, he is working in them to draw them to Catholic unity, as Unitatis Redentis Gratio in Vatican II says these elements of the Holy Spirit here and there are, are drawing them to Catholic unity. It's not governing them apart from Catholic church outside of the Catholic church. No one has been able to build anything like the Catholic church order Greek schisms or the Protestant. Heritage. There's right. no alternative. Uh, the, the biggest alternative is the Eastern Orthodoxy, but they don't, so much of that whole debate is, is a mirage people don't understand because it's so difficult to cut through that. Um, and that that's a whole nother. I think what's, I think what is a bummer about it is that like the debate is a mirage, but the experiences and things people feel like mm -hmm. those are serious things. They need, 
they need a hero. <laughs> they, they, they desperately need a hero to come in and to save the day because there's, there's uh, necessary ingredients to resolving the things that they all want to resolve. And they all, you know, to give sense and meaning to their own personal experiences and into their, the way that, because when we're talking their own personal experiences, that's their understanding of God to the best they know. Right. And so they need, but they don't have the order because who, who, no offense, but who's got the big stick? <laughs> who's got, who's got it? Like, who's going to be able to say, and our interpretation is the one. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so there's mixins that they just don't have, but they, and, but that without that, they lack that well, that well ordered accumulation <laughs> and they do, but that's, it's essential to get the others in. You have to be able to talk to the others to get the others in. And they are, struggle to talk to the others. We're the only one kind of roving around, able to deal with it and able to meet people where they are and talk in their language all over the place. So I have to go in five minutes. So I want Fowler. Fowler, what is your final comment? And then we'll end this mm. uh, tongue speaking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. So I think part of the frustration that I have uh, with other uh, Christian sects is that they think what they're doing mostly I'm, I'm painting with broad strokes so this won't apply to everybody but in general you know the different protestant sects and then the other the eastern churches they believe that there's a way for everybody to be in one body of christ but at the same time we don't need to have visible earthly unity we can you can go do your catholic thing and i'll go do uh, the methodist thing or whatever and that's fine and you know we'll agree on the fundamentals that's a that's a false ecumenism that's a false spirit of christian unity and i think that's part of what frustrates me and what makes this so destructive in terms of uh it, when, when we cast it in terms of them being a new babble like you're trying to build an edifice to reach god apart from the one that God has already provided for you. Like there, there is one holy church here and we call it the Catholic church. And she has a multiplicity of rites and uh, liturgical customs and languages and cultures. And you're like, nah, I don't need it. I'm going to make my own thing. I'm going to, I'm going to go down to, you know, the corner of fifth and main and I'm going to be fifth street Baptist church or something. It's like, Why are you doing that? And that cutting through that, um, and, and it's not, I'm not saying that I go out and, and try to, you know, go on mission to all these different Protestants, but in the past I've had conversations with folks like that and they just don't see anything wrong with what they're doing. And I think that's, that's a frustration for me is because we have to seek, uh, if, if we, we want legitimate diversity then you have to have unity first. And it's from there that diversity can flow. And again, we've got that in Catholicism. Those are my concluding thoughts. Awesome. Before yeah. before we pray, can you guys just add everybody just add me their intentions this week for real? I I've had CT scan. I had a CT scan recently. I don't talk too much about this publicly. Um, I've had X-rays. I've had a lot of work over the last number of years. I have cervical ribs. It's a mutation in the C7 of my spine. Uh, I may have to get those removed. If I do, there's a lot that would be involved first. I'd have to go physical therapy, you know, pain management, stuff like that. Um, but I also have degenerative disc right there in that same location. I mean, so people understand two fully grown cervical ribs, they shouldn't be there. They go where they shouldn't. And there's your that artery, your thoracic outlet area right there. And it can clamp. So I can't lay with my arm like that. I could die. Like there's a lot of things that I can't do because of that. Um, and it would be an invasive surgery. It's a good one, it, it, highly successful, but it would be like right there. <laughs> so if you see me like doing this a lot, or you see me stretching like this, or my arms curling in, I can't, it's like, in, I can't stop it. And so I may need surgery. I'll find out within the next two days how invasive it is, how bad the arthritis is in that area, and if bones are fusing. And so please, <laughs> please pray. And so God is awesome. No matter what, God is rocking. <laughs> I'm like so joyous. I'm going in there like they're like, you should be more sad about this. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> like I serve a good God. Like you're nuts. Like, you know, I actually have the privilege of suffering. And I hate to say that because it's painful to say that. But 
even if I have to suffer, I must consider it an honor. And so, and in fact, given to me by God. And so no matter what, but I do ask for your prayers because <laughs> I'd prefer it not. <laughs> I'd prefer it not, but I'm willing, but I prefer it not. So please pray for me. Yeah, well, love you with that, yeah, let's, let's offer up a Hail Mary for grace for Jeremiah to offer it all up and grace to heal him, um, get him back to, Amen. Uh, you know, ham hammering the enthusiasm and all that good stuff. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Victory. Pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home. Pray for us. Saint Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. Saint Anthony of the Desert. Pray for all clergy and seminarians. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus is King. Amen.